to Simpler. We are three pastors, husbands, and fathers on a journey to make life simpler by holding Jesus as the core for every belief and practice. This journey has shaped us to be more like Christ, freed us from the shame of failure, and encouraged us to a deeper love of our Lord and God. We invite you to join us in the discussions that have shaped and continue to shape our lives. The two guys that are standing on campus, they don't say anything. And they have the sign on their chest. Have you seen those two mm-hmm. guys? And the college kids, whatever whatever town these two guys live in, the college kids know who these guys are. And I guess they go to different college campuses as well. And a guy will have $500 and then the other guy will have a sign on him and they say nothing. And it says, the first one to bring me a professor of mathematics or whatever will get the 500 bucks. And people are like, hey, it's the guys. And they're running up and they've got all these different camera angles and people run up and they're like, all right, boom. And they're gone and they're coming back. I brought a professor. And like, it's just, it's super crazy. And it's, uh, one of them, one of them was like, uh, the first three people to dump there, and there was five gallon buckets of water in front of them. The first three people to to dump water over their own heads, get a chance at $500. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so one guy's there and he dumps water over his head and he's like, come on, I need two more players. Come on, come on. So these <laughs> other two guys show up and they get water dumped over their heads. And then the, there was a lock that opened a case that, and the combination is on a tree on the other side of campus. Oh, gosh. And so they get clue two <laughs> and they're going. And one of the guys is like, my bike's right over here. And he runs and he grabs his bike and he's, <laughs> and it's just, That's awesome. but it's so stinking fun. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. It's genius. That is genius. Let's do that. Let's do that. It's, <laughs> anyway, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's do one over the PCC, everybody. Come on over to the PCC. Welcome to Pierce's Culture Corner. We're here hanging out. Um, so what I'm talking about today is artificial intelligent, uh, artificially intelligent voices or like mimicking yeah, yeah, yeah. programs that mimic other people's voices. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently I've been seeing it more and more recently, just in the meme world, one of my favorite like little mini series that I'm seeing is that uh, people are editing in Ben Shapiro's voice and Joe Rogan's voice to where they're just having an argument together. <laughs> and it's like, it's the most uh, like most crazy arguments ever. And they like hit the nail on the head with Ben Shapiro. Like they take his mannerisms and just like amplify That's it. Awesome. And it's genius for those two people because they have both have podcasts. They both have a ton of things. They Super do. Super recognizable. So you can feed in all of this data into it and it sounds like them. I mean, obviously yeah. if you have a trained ear, if you listen to Joe Rogan or Ben Shapiro enough, you know, it's not them, but like yeah. it sounds enough like them where you're, it just, it sounds like it's flowing. And then one of the ones I saw, they were arguing about, uh, they had edited Joe Rogan to look really old. And he was like, I'm telling you, man, I went to this island and I came back just old. This island <laughs> makes you old. And then Ben Shapiro's like, come on, Joe Rogan, really, come on, really, logically, think about this for two seconds. He just, like, <laughs> he just lays out, like, there is no way anywhere on this world that anything could ever just turn you old from going there. And they have this argument back and forth. And Joe Rogan's like, man, I don't know what to tell you. You just got to go. M. Night shows and then, up. <laughs> no, right. So then Ben Shapiro leaves and he comes back and he was like, I got to tell you, Joe Rogan. I got old. (laughs) (laughs) So I like it in regards to that realm, uh, but it finally happened. So years ago, back in 2016, uh, Adobe had an, had an ideas conference where they presented uh, what they called Voco, where the same, same uh, way we understand AI voice generators is that if you feed it at least 20 minutes of input, then it will be able to, to generate something that sounds like your voice. And they had, I think, uh, Key and Peel were both hosting that day. So they had taken a bunch of their stuff, fed into them, and made this ridiculous conversation between the two of them uh, with using that software. And it's funny because the article that I was reading in prep for this said they 
they exaggerated how it wouldn't be used maliciously and then proceeded to use it maliciously against their own hosts. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And, uh, and I remember thinking at the time, like, this is really cool for, you think about, even for people who are their own, like, they get paid to do their own voice things. Like, they can utilize this software if they need to, like, get something out real quickly and they have their own voice filled into this. But then I thought about, well, what does it mean for, like, people who just take other people's voices and then get paid very minimally? I don't have to, I don't have to hire Joe Rogan to sponsor my thing. I can just type out what Joe Rogan would say. Then I began to think about while I was watching this Adobe thing, like, well, what does this mean just socially? Mm-hmm. Like the fact of like, if someone gets enough of my voice, which they could, I'm, I'm, I'm on simpler. I'm on, there's sermons of me. There's, there's, I mean, they get me screaming, <laughs> get a bunch right. of, a bunch of audio compiled together. That'd be an interesting uh, compilation. It would, you. right. They could, they could essentially make a, make a false video of me screaming at Hannah or me, or me like doing something or saying, speaking of false theology. Like they, they could potentially do that. Or even like, can you do that on simpler now? Like when you're like making a point, you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, no, just, just throw it in there for it. Uh, but so, it, and it finally happened. So that was 2016. I remember thinking that I don't like the social implications of this, but I think it's cool, but we got to be really guarded, which is the way I feel about most AI stuff in general. Sure. And here we are seven years later, Adobe never released that software. And there's speculations for some of those things, like the, just the amount of legalities that would come with that. Like sure. they would be blamed for that, but there are plenty of other softwares that do this. And I was uh, at a gas station the other day, filled up with gas, um, ran inside to grab a snack. And the, the clerk was sitting there like, hey, how's it going, man? And he goes, just thinking about these aliens. And I was like, he was like, it's crazy. It's crazy. There's all these statements about aliens, but no one's talking about it. And I was like, oh, yeah? And he pulled up a couple of screenshots that he showed me about just some of the talks about some stuff going on alien-wise. And he was like, yeah, the president even made a statement about it. And I said, I don't get why we're not talking about it. Like, why, why are more people freaking out? Why don't people know about this? The president made a statement about it. And he pulls out his phone and he shows me on TikTok. Oh, no. Biden declaring war on the aliens and it is obviously to him it wasn't obvious to me it was very <laughs> obvious that it was this was an ai deep fake voice generator thing where he is just straight up declaring war on the aliens this man's entire life changed because he believed he the showed AI. me a, he showed me a few more of uh, just a string of ai generated news things and, and presidential statements and all these things were his entire view and perspective. Maybe he had somebody in his life. I, I should have been like, that's fake, man. But at the time I was like, what if I say that and it's not fake and I leave it? But if you're listening, I, I, that, I apologize I, I to you. I love that you were questioning, well, what if it's not? <laughs> what if it's not? Yeah. I don't want to be the one taking it. I got to maintain the peace, right? <laughs> Look, that's funny. Like, here, here's where I would be. I wouldn't believe that the aliens were real but I would believe that Biden is just out of his mind enough to say <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. real. Say, how do you know? <laughs> like, true. how do you even know the stuff on the real news media is him? That's true. <laughs> right? That's very true, man. Uh, so well, anyway, my sister, my youngest sister, Lisa was just at South by Southwest and I'm going to have to have her send me these videos. Super cool. Cause I wanted to send them to you, but they're already off her story, mm-hmm. but she was at this like expo where there was a, I don't know how to describe it. It was like a half cylinder. Mm-hmm. but probably 10 feet tall that had all these kind of things around it. And it, and it projected a life-size hologram oh, yeah, that yeah, steps yeah. forward out of the cylinder and is moving and is talking. And then she's panning her camera. And then there's a, there's a floating uh, hologram of the internal organs in the body and the whole, you know, like system of the internal body that's rotating and spinning where you can touch it. And that's cool. And it's just, it's amazing what the technology is doing now. Like there's some really cool stuff too. Yeah. But it's, it's also, you're like, everything that has ever been 
every advancement ever has been used for evil. <laughs> you yes, know, like, yeah. like some, somebody goes, hey, I could use this rock to smash some berries or whatever and kill my and friend. And crush his head. <laughs> yes, exactly right. You know, so like, thanks, Kane. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I didn't think about this. I love before. that your first example of technology is a rock. Well, yeah, I was starting like, you mm-hmm. know, like the first tool, right? Yeah. The yeah, first yeah. tool is a rock. Because <laughs> most people don't go there when they think of technology. I just think it's a fair point. Like yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. talking about like something that we use yeah. to make our life easier. Easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I didn't thought about this and then I'll wrap up real quick, but I hadn't thought about like the people who, who I've, what I've seen is people <laughs> who will, who will use, who will use their image and like get a bunch of pictures taken of themselves feed a lot of voice recognition to it and then do a hologram type thing where, where people can take pictures with John Cena. They can take pictures with uh, Paris yeah. Hilton. Those were a couple that I had seen. And then like, if you feed it enough information, they could essentially have, which does suck, but you could have them say what you want them to say. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if the business deal's done right, that it could be in a way that's like, that's actually fits their personality. You can have a conversation with your favorite celebrity without the celebrity being there. Mm-hmm. And I think too, about the implications of like, um, theme parks you go to like really nice theme parks they have the the holographic images i remember mm. one of the ones i saw was aerosmith at the rock and roller coaster at disney world where you walk in and it's them in the studio but it was just a projection of them in the studio but if you add this layer of ai you add this layer of of how they're doing things they're able to look up and be like say it's somebody's birthday that day like hey hey baby, happy birthday pierce good to see you man like we're recording in here it's just jump on the ride and like yeah. little things like that is really cool so i think there is to your point really really cool implications of this mm-hmm. but also really scary implications of this Super and scary. we're also at war with the aliens in case you guys <laughs> were wondering <laughs> uh ryan what are we talking about today my man today we are talking about the two covenants of the scripture the covenant of law and the covenant of grace and how the covenant of grace replaces the covenant of law but ryan we still need the law don't we well actually pierce despite what I was often taught growing up, uh, and sadly, what I taught for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there'll be a lot of self-deprecation in this one. But uh, uh, no, the the law is the law was given by God for a purpose, and the law accomplished that purpose, and then Christ came in and supplanted the law. Uh, and so for me, the easiest text on this, and I preached on this, I don't know. February, I think. And and so people can go back and listen to this. You can, it's, I don't know, the glory of the gospel is what we talked about at some yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So they can go back to the 456 page and look for the sermon called the glory of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it this is from second Corinthians three. It's just a few verses. It says this, since the ministry of death carved in letters on stone. So talking about the law came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory. So Moses came down from the mountain, his face is glowing. The people didn't want to look at it. And it was a glory that was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? If there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the law, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory, the ministry of the law, has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if it was being brought to an end, came with glory, much more will that which is permanent have glory. And so here's the nutshell version of it is that the law produced death and condemnation mm-hmm. and it had a temporary glory and now has come to have no glory because the ministry of the spirit or the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, has, and, and it's the ministry of life and the ministry of righteousness has such surpassing glory that what, what was good about the law has come to have no glory goodness to it. Like Mm -hmm. 
Christ is now the fullness of that. And one of the things that's super interesting is uh, I've been in church my entire life. I've listened to a lot of preachers and I've been a preacher for 28 years in some capacity, probably longer than that, really. Like if you go back to me teaching Bible study when I was 16 to the youth group, because we didn't have a youth pastor. So like a long time, uh, 31, 32 years in one form or another. And, and the thing that's interesting about it is that what was typically taught and the way that I typically taught, we talked about this briefly last week, Micah, but is put your faith in Jesus so that you, you can go to heaven so that you can escape hell so that your sins can be forgiven. And then here's the rules Mm -hmm. that you need to do to be a good Christian. And that's typically what I taught. And what's problematic about that is we, we, for the second part of that, we delve into the old Testament and we delve into the rules that matter to right. us, depending on which culture you grew up in. I grew up my first nine years in a fundamentalist Baptist church. And so, like, you can't touch alcohol. You can't dance. You can't go to the movies. You can't touch playing cards. There were a lot of rules, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then there will be some people who are like, well, yeah, but the Bible also says you can't eat shellfish. And I like shrimp a lot. So that one doesn't count. And <laughs> you, you can't cut your hair. But, you know, it's okay to cut your hair now. And so what people would do is they would pick and choose. Yeah the covenant of the law, these, but what people, what we did is we would dive into the old Testament. We do a deep dive into the old Testament and we would adopt out of the old Testament laws Mm -hmm. for righteousness Mm -hmm. laws for Christian living. And we would apply that to our preaching. The problem is the old Testament is the covenant of law, which produces death and condemnation. And, and the covenant of the law points to the need because there's plenty of prophets and plenty of people in the law that talk about Christ mm-hmm. and the forecoming yep. of Christ. Yep. So the covenant of law points to the need for a new covenant. And, and Jesus even says, not Jesus, sorry, God even says in, in the prophets, specifically in, in Ezekiel, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to bring about a new covenant mm-hmm. and I'm going to write my laws on your hearts and I'm going to change your hearts. And I'm going to like, and he's talking to Israel about when they'll come back from exile. Yeah. But but he is speaking to something different than what they've previously known. Yeah. And and so the problem is like if you if you look at the covenant of law in the Old Testament, it was it, it's completely performance based. And if you go read Deuteronomy 27 and 28, it's it's in a lot of the places in the Old Testament, but Deuteronomy 27 28 is a really easy place to find it. If you do all these things according to the law in this way and you obey the law, here are the blessings you'll get. And if you don't do the law, here's all the judgment you'll get. Mm-hmm. And there are Christians who still believe that God is treating them that way. Yeah. And so they lose a job and they're like, oh man, it must be because I'm a sinner now. Yep. And mm-hmm. and they, our view of God is still based on a covenant of law, but we are not under the covenant of law. We're under the covenant of grace, the mm-hmm. covenant of the gospel. And and if if we are not careful, we will blend those two covenants and we will we will say that both are applicable to our Christian life. I want to give you one more text, and then let's let's talk about it. There's a lot of other texts that I'll bring up yeah. hopefully throughout, but one other text. So Hebrews eight, nine, and ten. The author of Hebrews, whoever the individual was, is is speaking to uh, the importance of Christ being better than the Old Testament sacrifices, Christ mm-hmm. being better than the Old Testament priesthood, and heaven being better than the Old Testament tabernacle. All of those things in the old covenant were supplanted by all the things of the new covenant. Right? Yeah. And he says this. Um, so he's talking about Christ being the high priest. And he says in Hebrews 10, and man, I'm, I'm telling you, it's in seven, it's in eight, it's in nine. And I'm, I'm just not going to read to you the entire book of Hebrews. But Hebrews 10 says, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, something mm-hmm. Paul repeats in Colossians 2. Uh, for since the law has a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of those realities, 
It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to have been offered. So the covenant of the law, the Old Testament sacrifices, is a shadow. It's not the form. It's not the substance of God's Mm -hmm. power or grace or mercy. And then he goes on to say, um, speaking of Christ, and Christ came, and he says this, verse 9, he does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood or the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, uh, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered a sin once for all times, he sat down at the right hand of God. And so I love in verse nine, it says that when Christ came, he, he did away with the first in order to establish the second. And Hebrews talks about that, that like that, where there's a change of priesthood, where there's a change of sacrificial system, there's a change of covenant. Mm-hmm. And so the the covenant of law, the covenant of the sacrificial system, those things were done away with and replaced by Christ in the cross. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have to be careful because when you're reading an Old Testament text, we tend to, let me say that differently, oftentimes preachers, including myself for 20-something years, tended to make those things analogous to Christianity. Yeah. And we'd say, look at what God yeah. says here. So like, for example, 2 Corinthians seven fourteen. if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And people go, man, like America's wicked right now. Look mm-hmm. at all the stuff that's happening. Look at the abortions. Look at the, look at the way that people are departing from God. It's because we're sinners and, and we need to repent. And if we will just repent. And so people are approaching the system from the covenant of law. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, no, no, no. People need Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it's it's not that people need to be better at observing the law. It's that people need Christ. Mm-hmm. And and remember, and why is that text always about America? I don't know. It's stupid because America. because second second uh, Chronicles six, um, Solomon has just established the temple and he's just prayed over it and he's just dedicated it. And in his prayer, he said, "God, there will be times that we sin against you, and so when we sin against you, let us pray in this place and hear from heaven our prayers. Mm-hmm. There will be times that we go into captivity. When we go into captivity, let us turn our face towards Jerusalem and pray, and then you hear from heaven." And so he does this about twelve different ways. There will be these things that happen. Let us either pray in this temple or let us pray towards this temple, mm-hmm. and you'll hear from heaven. And chapter seven is God's response to Solomon, and he says, "Yeah, if the Israelites will do these things, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll I'll pray." Mm-hmm. But I want you to I want you to hear this. So like Isaiah fifty nine one. Uh, and two says that your sins have made a separation between you and God. And, and people go, yeah, see your sins. We, we, we throw this around in Christian circles all the time. Your sins have made a separation between you and God. If you read the rest of Isaiah 59, these are idol worshipers. These are Israelites who have rejected God and turned to idols, which have demons as, as their source. Right. And so these are not Christians. Right. And, and it's a covenant of law. Like this, or these aren't to be clear. These aren't even people of faith. These are not people like, of these faith. Are, this is not what the New Testament calls the remnant. These no. are not people who've put their faith in God as provider of salvation. Right. They have mm. rejected God. Yeah. And their sins, therefore, have made a separation between. And and but we do that all the time. Like somebody's like, man, I feel far from God today. This kind of goes back to our identity talk last week. But people mm-hmm. go, man, I feel far from God today. If you have put faith in Jesus, you are not far from God today. <laughs> you, you're measuring yourself by the covenant of law. Yeah. Look, maybe today you acted like garbage and maybe today you, you didn't serve Jesus with your life or whatever, but that doesn't change your identity as we talked about last week. But it mm-hmm. also, it, 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 it's also not the covenant you're under. Yeah. There are so many Christians walking around believing that God is disappointed in them mm-hmm. because they're measuring themselves according to the Old Testament standard of the law and not the New Testament standard of grace in the gospel. Yeah. 
and and we we are measured by Christ. We uh, our, our our security rests in Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and and we have to be really careful. So what's super interesting is, um, like I, I know that this is never going to happen, but. I really think that the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't actually fit in the Old Testament and don't actually fit in the New Testament. I think they're kind of a bridge between the two. Mm. Um, And the reason that I feel that way is I was raised to think that the disciples, and not just the 12, but anytime the Bible uses the word disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was a reference to Christians and believers. Mm -hmm. And it's not. I mean, because there's the disciples of John and there are the disciples of Jesus who depart from Jesus and whatnot. Oh, you meant any reference to the word disciple. Any reference to the word disciple. When Paul uses the term, he's using it to speak to about people of faith. Yeah. Which is why we confuse the two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's it's the disciple literally just means learner. So it's right. those who are learning under Jesus and then depart from him, and those who are learning under the Pharisees, and then those who are learning under John the Baptist. And it's and it's the end of each gospel is the death and the resurrection of Christ, mm-hmm. which is when this new covenant is enacted. Yep. So you have this weird transition point in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the law has been the standard, which is why the Pharisees are claiming that they are righteous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, he goes, unless your righteousness is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. And he is doing away with the old covenant and establishing the new covenant, but the new covenant isn't established until the end of the gospels. And really, probably more precisely, until the first chapter of Acts, when the Spirit is given. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is this is the only place where we see these two covenants kind of collide. Yeah. It's because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the changing of the guard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's Hebrews ten, Jesus doing away with the old covenant and establishing the new. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so what we tend to do is take Jesus's language in the Gospels and go see, look how important the law is. And as an example, we look at Matthew five. You've heard that it was said in the law, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who has looked at a woman with lust has committed adultery in their hearts. And now we use that as a teaching point in our churches to address lust. But what Jesus was doing was the Pharisees were going, we haven't committed adultery. Mm -hmm. He's going, yeah, but you're guilty of lust. So you have therefore committed. And what he's doing is he is taking their perspective of the law and showing how they failed at it. Mm-hmm. He is showing how inadequate they are. Or more specifically, because they believed it was righteousness. He's taking their perspective of righteousness right. according to Thank the law yeah. Yeah. and saying you're not actually righteous. Yeah. yeah. So he was proving that, you're, like Paul even says of himself that according to the law, he was perfect. Yeah. But then Paul also says of himself, he was the chief of sinners. Yep. And so... Paul, as a Pharisee, believed he was perfect according to the law. So therefore, mm-hmm. Paul also believed that he was righteous according to the law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then Paul, meeting Christ, realized he's not righteous at all right. and that he needs Christ for righteousness and now looks back on who he was under the law and says, man, I was the chief of sinners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so his view of righteousness shifted from law to Jesus. Yep. And those things are not intermingled. No. And yet we, in our churches, it's, continue to try to intermingle yeah, them. Yeah, and it's interesting that people people will take, uh, where is, what's the passage where Jesus says, I didn't come to do away with the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Yeah, it's uh, Matthew 5. Is it Matthew 5? Yeah, okay. yeah. They'll take that and say, see, he's saying that it was still necessary. And what, right. no, what Jesus is saying is, I came to do what was required in the law because it, you couldn't. R- Romans 8. Yes. It, mm-hmm. What he's saying in Matthew 5 is Romans 8. Now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for what the law could not accomplish because of the weakness of our flesh, God did through Christ his son. Yep. So when it says, when Jesus says in Matthew 5, when he says that not, not, a, not a, a, a jot or a tittle will pass away from the law until tittle. all is accomplished, like he's not saying observe the, like what he's saying, uh, you have to go to Luke 24 and it's the, it's 
he mentions it in the first part of Luke 24 with talking to the guys on the road to Emmaus. And then he mentions it in Luke 24, like verses 44 and 45 to the people in the upper room. And he's, and it says, explaining to them from the law of Moses, the Psalms and the prophets, what the scriptures declared about him. Mm -hmm. So when Jesus says, I came to fulfill the law and the law won't pass away, Jesus is talking about the law that pointed to the gospel and, and how the law was pointing to him. Yeah. And he was going, I'm here mm -hmm. to fulfill all the scripture and to fulfill the requirements of the law. That's why it doesn't go away. And that's yeah. why it doesn't the, go the away. The implication isn't that it still has bearing on our life. Yeah. It's not that you need to do the law. It's mm -hmm. that what the law required, I accomplished. Yeah. It's a small perspective, I think, of the scripture. People totally. who take that, like, they don't see the whole thing as this, like, story of redemption. You have, yeah. yeah it has to be one story arc. It's the Genesis same people who, yeah. And it's the same people who would teach Noah's Ark and go, this is about how you live a better life now versus going, mm. this is a picture of Jesus. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, it, it's a people of a small perspective of the scripture right. as not being the story of, Moralistic. of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're trying to reduce every story of the Bible Absolutely. to Aesop's fables. Absolutely. And it's interesting that like Paul says in Romans that the law just makes us conscious of our own sinfulness, that we're mm -hmm. incapable of accomplishing it. So here's what I don't understand. People who still say we have to obey the law or even, even people who, who take this weird perspective that there's a uh, moral law that there's like the third yeah. use of the law that we have to use. Um, if that's the case, then you're saying, uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding what they're saying, but like, it seems like they're, what they're saying is, is Jesus fulfilled what was necessary in the law, except for the moral parts. Right. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so like, yeah, because you have the people who talk about, well, you're talking about the moral law and the, what do they say? The civil law or something? Uh, like that. And the ceremonial. Yeah. Yeah. Ceremonial yeah. law. I mean, and they're like, another, yeah, it may have been civil and something like that. They're like, so yeah, we don't have to worry about the, the, ceremonial, ceremonial law anymore, but we still got to yeah. worry about the moral law. And yeah. it's like, seriously? So Jesus, Jesus yeah. only dealt with half of it or a third. Yeah. According to yeah. them, like, right. Yeah. Or two thirds. Sorry, not a third. Yeah. And that's, I think what, what's interesting to me, I think you said this last episode, it's probably been longer, but it's for sure been pretty prevalent for the last 500 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and what we know happened is that actually, thanks Britain for this, but that concept of the moral use of the law or third use of the law, was Calvin and Zwingli's invention in Geneva because the people were so wicked, wicked that yeah. they needed some way to control them, and so they mm -hmm. came up with this this idea. And then it's been prevalent. This thought's been prevalent in in the churches and preaching for the last at least the last five hundred years. Um, which, uh, to be fair, it's way before that because sure. Paul does it all of all through the epistles. He's like these people are coming in because, teaching you. Yeah, because Judaism. the Judaizers were doing. Yeah, that too, so it's not in new. The first I'm just saying, like the, our perspective now, how we tend to think of it. Most people nowadays, most preachers are not talking about being Judaizers. They're not. The, the Western Protestant Church or Evangelical Church was largely shaped by the Reformation. Yes. In, in so many positive ways. Positive ways. And, and some a negative couple ways. of negative yeah. ways. So it's not, people aren't coming in saying, if you don't live like a Jew, right. you suck. Right. Like they did in in uh, Paul's time. But yeah. like now, I think it's it's a similar perspective where people say, well, yeah, Jesus is coming, you know, like giving us new life, but like we still have this, this tie to the old covenant. And yeah. you always wonder like, what do you think? I always want to ask people in those conversations, like, what do you think about Hebrews 10? Yeah. When he says, like, I got to do away with, with the, the old, old yeah. so the new could come. Can you do this real quick? Because it's probably the most genius perspective I've ever heard of the necessity of Jesus's death. Will you talk about that for a second? So I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast about, um, I'll, I'll give you the clue and you'll figure out where I'm going real quick. Because I know you're like, <laughs> I'm what like, are you talking oh, about? Oh, crap. <laughs> I'm on the spot. <laughs> the, uh, <clears throat> according to the law, there needed to be death to be out of a covenant. Hmm. 
You remember uh, talking about this? I don't remember talking right, about it. I'm just going to tell you about Ryan's perspective. So. All right, cool. <laughs> According to the law, the only way you could be free from a covenant, oh, specifically yeah. marriage. Yeah, yeah. Romans 7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roll with that one. Now you got it? Yeah, got it. Man. I'm so glad you got it because I'm going to botch it. Yeah, so. I'm just saying it because it's like, I'll I'll tell you this as an encouragement. When I've explained this to people, I can see their eyes go, holy crap, I've never understood that before. And it's like life-changing for them. So there's a couple of things that people miss from the scripture. um, And I won't take long on this part, but this idea that we still need the law. Um, all the law can do, according to 2 Corinthians 3, is bring condemnation and death. Yep. Mm-hmm. So even if people are arguing, f- making a case for the moral law, it, it's an impossible task. Yeah. yeah. You can't be successful at that. And so it, Romans 7, and you need to go back and listen to our podcast on Romans 7. And if you want more information on it, you go back a couple of years and listen to my sermon series on Romans. But, but Romans 7 he Romans is beautiful, man. Romans is so dadgum good, but it's it's rich. And we have to be really deliberate that we don't take any single verse in isolation. Yeah. And so I'm not going to be able to say as much about this as I would like to. You'll have to just go back and listen to that podcast. But Romans yeah. 6 deals with what the cross accomplished. Mm-hmm. Romans 8 deals with what the Spirit now does in the person who's redeemed. And in the middle of this is Romans 7. And a lot of people talk say, well, it's the struggle of the Christian life. And it is not. Romans 7 deals with what the law accomplishes, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately nothing. And Mm -hmm. and so here's what the cross accomplishes. Here's the futility of the law, and here's the power of the Spirit is the way Romans 6, 7, and 8 break down. And in Romans 7, he says, uh, beginning in verse 1, Do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only so long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from that law of marriage. Accordingly, she is called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So here's here's what it's saying. According to the law, uh, a woman is only obligated to keep the law, so the covenant of marriage, in this case, so long as her husband's alive. And when her husband dies, she is free from that covenant of marriage, right? Mm. But if her husband's still alive and she leaves him and goes and marries another one, another husband, then according to the law, she's an adulteress. Mm -hmm. But she's not an adulteress if she marries another husband because her husband has died. Mm -hmm. Everybody goes, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Likewise, so in the same way, (laughs) which is where we miss this, in the same way, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you can belong to another to him, Christ, who has been raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So, so the law couldn't be done away with in the, in the sense that it's God's oracles. He has established it. And so you the, can't just go marry another husband. Right. So the, according to the law. Yeah. You couldn't, the law couldn't be destroyed. Christ had to come and fulfill it. Uh-huh. The law mm-hmm. had a requirement of being fulfilled right. and Christ came and fulfilled it. So the law wasn't done away with in that sense, but the covenant of the law was brought to an end when Christ fulfilled it. Yeah. And so the, the necessity pic- because it was right. fulfilled. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the picture is that you and I as people, we're not the Jews that are probably in view here, or the, the people who are trying to observe the Jewish law that are in view here. But he says, look, you you were joined to the law. So he's using that kind of same marriage language. You were joined to the law. And because the law couldn't die, you died. Mm -hmm. 
so that you could be set free from your husband, the law, and be joined to your husband, Christ. So you had that the relationship you had to the law is now broken through death. And if you're going, when did I die? Second Corinthians, or sorry, uh, uh, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Uh-huh. And then in a more immediate context, Paul in Romans 6 verses 2 through 8 says that we have died with Christ. He, he says yep. this, he says it in six of seven verses. Hmm. Six of seven verses in a row, he says, you have died with Christ. You have been joined with Christ in his death. And so when it gets here to Romans 7, he says, look, you, we were joined to the law. The standard of righteousness of righteousness was the law. Mm-hmm. But essentially, that's an abusive spouse. because <laughs> it, it really is because yeah. it can only produce condemnation and death. But because God instituted the law, the law can't be put to death. So we were put to death. Mm-hmm. So with that, Christ. With Christ so that we could be raised and walk in newness of life with, with Christ. Christ. Yeah. And so we are bound now to Christ and not the law. And and what some Which Christians is the covenant shift. Yeah. And what some people want to do is want to maintain two husbands. Yep. What some preachers Ooh, are trying to do. That's really good. You've never said it like that, but that's I've, really good. I've that never really thought good. it like that until now. But what some preachers are trying mm. to do is have the Christian maintain two husbands. Yeah. And you can't do that unless you're an adulteress. You should write a book called Adultery. Yeah. <laughs> that's just about that. Call my, oh, dude, about call the it. law? I, I, I'm not joking. No, that's not a bad idea. I mean, like, free, that's oh, maybe, wow. <laughs> that might be the most genius thing I've heard you say in a Ever. long time <laughs> about, about this particular <laughs> conversation because yeah. it, it. I think there's a weight of emotion that happens when you say that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Preachers are trying to join people to two husbands. Yeah. yeah. And you can't. You can't, but no. I think most people don't understand the genius of what you just said, which is Romans seven, and then all wow. these other places about being joined. All right, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. You're good, man. <laughs> no, I'm just telling, like I didn't. I had. I had never thought about it that way until until we talked about this passage, and I was like, I'd never considered that, like the necessity of Jesus's death. Yeah. Um. To was, break us from that covenant. Yeah, yeah. Because we. <laughs> That's a conversation that's hard for people. Like, why did yeah. Jesus have to die? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reason Jesus had to die was because there was a necessity to fulfill what was required in the law. Yeah. And then to die because you can't you can't do away with that yeah. covenant without death. Right. He well, died to remove us to from re- the necessity of that covenant. Right. Otherwise, we die because the covenant condemns us to death. And mm-hmm. why in the heck are we trying to live with two husbands? Yeah. 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 And I hadn't ever thought of it in that language until I just said it, which is beautiful in God's grace. But- one further point to that that ties into all of this is, and, and I'm telling you, like, we could do this for two hours, everything that the New Testament says about the the covenant of the gospel and the covenant of the law. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when, but sometime in 2023, I've got about a six-week series that I'm preaching on this at, at the 456. I'm, I thought I would do it f- after our Resurrection Sunday series, but I, I don't feel ready for it yet. But uh, this is in Galatians, and Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, (laughs) imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So apart from faith, apart from Christ and what he's done, you were held captive under the law. Mm -hmm. Like I said, an abusive husband. Uh, That's a great way to put it, too. You were imprisoned uh, um, until the coming uh, faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian— or Romans, husband, until Christ came. And that's key, until Christ came, Mm -hmm. in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. Mm -hmm. For in Christ Jesus, you are now sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. And so again, Mm -hmm. here is Paul again saying that we used to be under the covenant of the law and we are not anymore. Yeah. And it is amazing to me how many times you can show people texts like this and they go, yeah, yeah, but what about the Ten Commandments? And you're like, look, like the Ten Commandments themselves are not the measure of godliness. And Mm -hmm. why? Why? I don't understand. Yeah. I don't know. Why why are they different? Yeah. Why do we have to treat those as different? And and it's because they're mentioned by name four times in the Old Testament. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's it's given to us in, in Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, and then twice they are referenced after that in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to be like, yep, that's the most important things ever. Uh, but it's it's not. Christ is the most important thing. Yeah. There's, a, I think, a, a danger going through the Gospels from a perspective that's different than what you said a second ago. Yeah. Because if you view the gospels from the perspective of Christianity, like that the gospels are written like to help people live better Christian lives. Yeah. You get to passages like, um, I think we mentioned this a, a while, a few months ago, but um, what well, we'd say like love God and love people. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and mm-hmm. love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Um, what does he say? The, oh, because they asked him to sum up the law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he What's sums, the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment. Yeah. And he says that. And so we go, see, this is the greatest commandment. In that moment, when we say, yeah. yes, yeah, see, these are the things that we should be about because Jesus says this is the greatest commandment, we've actually still identified ourselves with the other husband. Right. Yeah. And so, like, that's why I'd mentioned a few months ago, I because, don't think we want to be at that no, place you're, where you're we right. say that. You're 100% they're right. They're from the law perspective. Because yeah. what Jesus is doing is he, is he is shaping the perspective of the law for the Jews and saying, look, if you want to fulfill the whole law, do these two things. Yep. Mm-hmm. If you do these two things, you won't break the law. And he's basically saying you can't. Yeah. yeah. But but he is he is saying to them, like, this is how you fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not talking to them in that moment about the covenant of grace, which is the covenant he is introducing. Right. Mm-hmm. He's talking I, to them about perfection under the covenant right. of law. And I have no problem saying that, like, the way Jesus talks about the law is probably this lead up, which I think you can see this all through the, the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to get them to change their perspective. He's right. trying to get them to put their faith in him. Right. So he's, he's actually saying... Uh, when he says the, um, these are the greatest commandments or yeah. the greatest commandments summed up in these two things. Like, I think there's an essence where you could say Jesus is simplifying it where he's kind of saying like, yeah, shift your heart, which you see all through the old yeah. Testament. God, God says, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want your heart. Yeah. And they never give it. They always give them the works. Right. And which is in essence what we do now. Yep. What we try to do now as Christians, when we try to still live under the covenant of the law and not under yeah. the covenant of grace mm-hmm. is we try to still merit our righteousness by works. Can you imagine a conversation? And I wouldn't do this to everybody. There would be a few people that I feel like could be tough enough to handle it. But can you imagine somebody coming and going, look, I know that Jesus has saved me, but I still need to do X, Y, and Z. And you go, you adulterer. Yeah. Like just go, man, you're an adulterer. You have your, you have two husbands. Like, I kind of want to start doing that now (laughs) because that's the weight of it. Right. Like that's the level of intensity. Like to, to, I think if we can, I I think some people would crumble. It wouldn't work, but well, you're there to catch them. Like, it's not like you just cease being a shepherd in that moment. No, I'm going to walk away. I'm just going to say you adulterer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, get your car and drive away. Serious note. You explained Romans seven in like five minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you did that in five minutes and then said, which husband would you like to serve today? Yeah. Oh, it would shape how people think. Absolutely. I think if you set the premise, yeah. instead of just saying you adulterer, if you set the premise and then said, well, I think what we've just done unwittingly, and 
I'm sorry, go back to you, but I think what we've just done unwittingly <laughs> is we've, we have now developed the language we'll use in this sermon series at yeah, the end yeah, of the yeah. summer. It's freaking genius. Go ahead, yeah. Pierce. No, that, that's all I was going to say. The, the, the weight of it. And I think too, I was, I was going through, um, this just builds a little bit on what we're saying. Good. Um, I was going through first Timothy, I don't know, a few weeks back. And, uh, this just discussion of Timothy being a teacher gets brought up and, uh, and he's talking about false teachers as well. This is First Timothy 1. Uh, go to verse 5, yeah. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either of what they are saying or about the or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient. Mm-hmm. And so an understanding of like, and that's one of the big one of the things that I've tried to do as well with the youth before, uh, before this like really just shine a light on me. It's like the law, I think what I used to think about in regards to the teaching of, of law versus grace, however we want to phrase that, is that it was hard for me. And this is all, again, very internal, not based off scripture, just my experience. It was hard for me to say, well, how would God put something into place, um, that just didn't work or put something in place that like that, that, that wasn't, uh, that, that couldn't accomplish these things. And so that was hard for me to say that the law should be, uh, done away with in regards to how I live or view myself because of those things. And so, which is a different perspective from a lot of people, but I remember thinking, how can I say this? And my idea, my standard was that every single word, every single phrase, everything in the scriptures has to have this this brilliant um, level of equality of application, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Instead of understanding through context mm-hmm. and instead of understanding, yes, that God put something in place for a time and it served its purpose, just like you yeah. read in, in Galatians as well. It served its purpose. And in regards to teaching, it can still serve a purpose to expose sin, which you brought up, Micah, that the Romans had said as well, that it's exposing sin. So what he is saying here, the law, the law can be good as a teacher, but don't use it to teach the just. It's not for them. It's, it's not, not for the, it's, it's, it's not, not for the righteous. It's not for the exactly, people of faith. It's not for the people of faith. They are just, they are righteous based off of Christ. But if you're exposing um, sin, just like we talked about in Romans chapter three, um, then he says that as well. It's laid down. It's not laid down. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless disobedience, the godly and the sinners. Then he lists off all these things that are in contrary to yeah. the gospel. And so he's saying the to law can therefore, conscious. yeah, yeah is to expose that. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think just a, just a caveat to that. I think that there's a sense where people would take that and go, see, we need to uphold the standard of law to the rest of the world who hasn't put their faith in Jesus. Mm. And I think that's a misunderstanding of what. Oh Jesus yeah, absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah, yeah. that the, the, I mean, what's clear in Romans is that even if you quote unquote, obey the law, it's not enough. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is the same point we brought up as well as the Sermon on the Mount that like he's exposing like, like, if the, the law can be shrunken down into this summarizing statement, not that you can do it, yeah. but here's this. And so same thing as well of, of what Romans is saying is this is exposing your need for a savior, not exposing a standard that you should change and yeah. live by exposing the, the fact that you can't live by this standard. Right. Um, and you need a savior. And that That's where, sorry, real quick. Yeah. That's where it gets awkward for me in the, when I hear Christians say to the world, like, well, see, you shouldn't be this way because mm-hmm. the Bible says this, the Bible says, yeah, you know, you shouldn't eat shellfish. Or, you know I mean, like, <laughs> it's funny that they'll cherry pick parts of the law, but they'll, they'll they'll use the law as a standard yeah. to show people their sinfulness. Now, I don't have any problem with with that concept if it's with the goal of what Paul's saying in Romans. Absolutely. That 
what the law makes us conscious of is that we're incapable of earning righteousness through our own works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, Paul says that the law was given to increase transgression. Yep. Mm-hmm. To make us aware of of our gap. inability. And yeah. I think what I think what you get where you get stuck in the conversation of telling the world, see, you shouldn't act like this because it's it's not according to, to, to yeah, God's yeah, yeah. law, is you're basically implementing the same old covenant right. as a standard yeah. for the gospel. Yeah. Instead of telling people, like, listen, none of us have ever been able to Can't be right it. in the sight of God on our own. Even the people who like seem to do the right things according yeah. to the law are still not capable of earning a righteous place before God. Yeah. The only way for us to have that is through faith in Jesus. That's the gospel conversation, Absolutely. not like you suck. So here's where it shifts now in our modern day culture. A little high horse for a second. I do not love the cultural nuances of like what's going on in our culture right now. I, I don't love it. Like I don't love the push for like all the trans stuff. I don't like all this crazy conversation about sexuality. And I mm-hmm. as like as a father, like I don't want my kids to grow up in that. Yeah. At the same time, I can't view people who I disagree with their life choices from the perspective of comfortability right. yeah. as people that are not people that need Jesus. Yeah, right. I so. have to approach those people in the same way that I would anybody that I'm comfortable with with the goal of showing them the gospel. And I think that's yeah. where that's where it's nuanced for us as Christians is like we can't be on such a high horse about about the law mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and mistaking perspective, but about the law that we miss opportunities for the gospel. Absolutely. Right. And that's what, I think that's what drives me nuts is like, you even see it like in, in, in when, when Paul's talking about the Judaizers, like mm-hmm. these are people proclaiming a false gospel. That's why he's totally. so pissed. Yeah. And that's why I'm pissed. It's Galatians like, one, right? Yeah. yeah. Let them yeah. be anathema. To hell with all you people. Yeah. I'm going to mm-hmm. start, that's my new book, to hell with all the false teachers. <laughs> to hell with all of them. Ryan's going to write a book called Adultery. Mine's going to be to hell with all the false teachers. Just going to have one picture in it of a dude getting kicked in the nuts. <laughs> That's, right. That's it. That's the, the whole book. thing. Well, you said something a minute ago that I've been, I've been waiting like, to jump in on. But like you, you said, <laughs> you said, you know, people ask or you've asked, I forget how you said it, but in the past that like, why would God create a system of the law that, was doomed to fail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's exactly the problem is that people view the law as not part of the story of the gospel. Yep, exactly. Yep. Because the law succeeded. Mm-hmm. The law was successful. True, yeah. Because of this, and I'm going to read it now because I was quoting it poorly a minute ago, but I'm going to read this. For God has done, this is Romans 8, 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, us, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, verse four, in order that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so, so the law, the law came, it's Matthew five. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Mm -hmm. And so the law was pointing to the need for a savior and the law was pointing to the need for someone to come and be righteous and do everything that we could not do. And the law was like, that's what the law was for. It was, it was the shadow of the things to come. Mm -hmm. And, and if we try to view the law in a vacuum, as its own thing, instead of being the shadow pointing to Christ, yeah. then we miss the point of the law and yeah. we make it about us. Mm-hmm. And the law was never about us and how well we could do it. The law was precisely about the need for someone who could be perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For some, and, and so the law accomplished as a tutor, as a husband, as all the guardians, all these things that the link, it, it, as a shadow, the law accomplished everything it was meant to accomplish in directing the attention of the people of faith towards the object of that faith, Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the old covenant now has done that. And when you think about it like that, because most people are going, wait, the law's been done away with. And they think the rules 
they're thinking about it from the standpoint of the rules instead mm-hmm. of thinking about it from the standpoint of the purpose of the law, which yeah. was to point to Christ. Yes, the law has been done away with because it doesn't need to point to Christ or anymore. More because correctly, like what he's saying, Jesus is saying the law has been fulfilled. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and well, but also Hebrews, it's been done away with. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it is that what he says in Hebrews? Yeah. The the old is passing away. The old has been done away. Yeah, with. I was just I just didn't want to make like because you guys said it like Jesus said I didn't come to do, do away with the law but fulfill it and then you said the law's been done. Sorry, away with. I just want to make, make no no it no. Clear. You're, you're right. You're right. So, but I know you're saying in Hebrews. Yeah. I just want to be clear on the language. No, I think that's a fair point. It's it, the law was fulfilled in Christ. I just can't remember what word I'm, I'm reading the Net Bible right now. Yeah, so I can remember what word NASB um, uses for for that in Hebrews ten. I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish okay. the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did away with the first by fulfilling it. Yes. So, that, and I think that's the nuance. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So the law isn't. We don't need the shadow of Christ anymore. Yeah. Why? We have Christ. We have Christ. Yeah. We don't need something calling our attention to needing something outside of ourselves. Well, and to be fair, to exactly. be fair, we never needed it. Never needed the law. Yeah, I mean, in terms of that, like maybe as like what well, he says in Galatians as a guardian. Yeah, you know what I mean. But like, we wouldn't say that Abraham's faith was necessitated under no, because they pre-law and pre-law, or sure. even True. even people who put their faith in God as a provider of salvation under the law, they didn't need the law for that right. righteousness. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. It's so no 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 sorry. The law wasn't required for righteousness. No, but the purpose of the law, the reason it was given, was to point to Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's what we miss because we think that the law was given to keep people in line. Mm-hmm. And and the law can't keep anyone in line. Right. Here's here's where I think you alluded to this, Pierce, and I think this has been the the hang up for preachers for a long time is we want to teach the Bible the whole thing mm-hmm. as like a, let me read you this passage specifically from the law mm-hmm. and tell you how this has like great application for you <laughs> for now. Us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two thoughts. One, I don't see any, anything in the new Testament that necessitates. We treat every passage of the old Testament that way. No. Right. When the, when the new Testament writers, a lot of times, Paul, Peter does this a lot too. When they refer to something in the old Testament, they're usually or always actually tying it to Jesus. How it reveals Christ. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. And so like there's, there's, purpose in that. So I would have no problem teaching through the law and saying, here's how it points. Yeah. What I have a hard time is preachers who would, I I love the idea of text driven preaching, Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. how they've created this used to be called expositional preaching. I love the idea of like exposing what the text is saying, like letting the text be the premise for what I preach. I think what has happened is there's a lot of preachers who foundationally have it wrong. They say they're teaching expositionally or text driven, but they're teaching the law they're going to teach Deuteronomy yeah. as Deuteronomy, not in the scope of how it points to Jesus. <laughs> they're going to True, teach yeah. it like you and I are at the base of Mount Sinai yes. you know, yeah. or on the edge of the promised land. And we're the Israelites who don't know about the redemptive savior. Yet. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so I have a difficult time hearing someone who preaches verse by verse through the law without a view towards Christ. Yeah. And I don't even know, like, I mean, I mean, this is just my opinion. I could totally be shifted on this if someone's got some thoughts, but like, I don't know how you teach verse by verse through the law well. Well, so I like, I, yeah, I like what you said a minute ago, and I think this bears a few minutes. Mm-hmm. You said text-driven preaching, which used to be called expositional preaching. So when I was growing up uh, and when I was in college, people who were expositional preachers that I really enjoyed 
would talk down about topical preaching. Yep. Mm -hmm. And where I have come to, which is why I like the phrase text-driven preaching better, um, but topical preaching can be faithful to the Bible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It can be. It's just it's more difficult. It, it's a little more difficult because if you're ripping 20 verses and you're not sure of the context, it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. Expositional preaching can be difficult if you just pull three verses, 10 verses out of Galatians without a view of Galatians. Yeah. And if you don't have a view of how Galatians fits in with the whole narrative. Mm -hmm. So text-driven preaching, what, what I would think by that, and correct this or, mm -hmm. or shape it, but what I would think by that is that text-driven preaching, if you're preaching five verses out of Galatians, takes into account Genesis to Revelation. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, like it's, I, it's I, how it fits in the story. How it fits yeah. in with the whole. Yep. And I think that that's so stinking good. You know, mm -hmm. like that might be the that might be the thing that I feel like is missing in a lot of those. Like I think in, in a lot of those sermons that were yeah. supposedly expositional, supposedly text-driven. Yeah. But they've I feel like they remove it foundationally from the, the from picture. The rest. And it's what we, we talked about this on the way up here earlier. I think people think of the Bible as the, as the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of the Bible being the venue that God, a venue that God used to, to give us yeah. who he is and yeah. give us. So like, we, we think that the Bible is the, the end means, and it's just the venue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it is so, a means, right? So like yeah. when I teach through, if I'm saying I want to be faithful and teach the text and I'm, I'm teaching through Deuteronomy and I'm just teaching verse by verse, but I'm not putting it in the context of the whole story. Right. I'm probably being unfaithful to the text. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm not actually text-driven preaching. I yeah. think it's a great point you're making that it has to fit in the whole story of redemption. Yeah. You, you can't you can't piece it out and say I'm being faithful to the text. Well, and and to be like, if if you know, if I look back on my earlier days and I'm like, well, I, I didn't know the whole Bible well enough to probably do that. The reality is, I I probably shouldn't have been preaching a lot of the sermons I was preaching. Right. Not that I couldn't have been. Like, it, I think you can be 18 and 19 and 20 and be faithful to the text. Yeah. Like. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had it's a, kind of a simple conversation. It is to have someone tell you, like, "Hey, here's here's like the narrative of the yeah. whole of the Bible." Well, and show you examples, and then say, "Make sure your preaching fits in this narrative." Mm -hmm. uh, a week and a half ago, when we were visiting my mom, we were having a pretty intense biblical discussion. Very good, fruitful discussion, but heavy stuff. And the boys were in the room, and and she goes, "I, I just noticed that you like you had these conversations around them." I was like, "Yeah." Because I'm hoping that by the time they're my age, they're not having to unlearn things like I did <laughs> yeah. and that they're having a contextual view of the, the scripture as a whole. Yeah. Um, I, I think, and I said it a minute ago, but I think that one of the things that would really help us, I think I'll say it, uh, we like to say positive, so I'll stay positive. One of the things that would really help us <laughs> is to view Genesis through Malachi as the Old Testament covenant, the old covenant pointing mm -hmm. to the need for a savior. And that we look at Acts is through... It? I mean, old covenant doesn't technically start till well, but but it's it's later. it's that system. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and yeah, because it doesn't technically start till Exodus. Right. Yeah. So Genesis is the history, and then we could. So let's let's say let's say Exodus twenty, then through Malachi yeah, is yeah, yeah. the old covenant. So you've got this history of of God building His people, mm -hmm. and and then you've got Exodus twenty, and I'm good with that. Let's let's be precise, right? Exodus twenty all the way through. Uh, Malachi, which mm -hmm. is dealing with the covenant of law. And then you have Acts through Revelation, which is dealing with the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. And Matthew is the transition. Yeah. It, it is the changing of the guard. And if you if you if you make Matthew new covenant, but 
you go, well, look at how much Jesus is teaching about the law. That's where you end up carrying the Old Testament and dragging Very it into true. the New Testament as practice yeah. instead of the changing of the guard. I think mm-hmm. it's what I meant. I don't know which podcast it was. It was a while back when I said something. You both looked at me like I was like, what did you just say when I said, <laughs> I don't know why we say we should try to be like Jesus. <laughs> That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah. Not that we don't have a heart to like, to have his heart and yeah. t- to follow him in life. But like, that's what I meant is like, I think when we say, I want to be like Jesus, we look at the gospels mm-hmm. as like the barometer yeah. for that. Sure. And and he's, <laughs> what he's doing is he's trying to sh- ex- expose to the Jews that he's the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so like we can, we can glean things from his life through the gospels. But we're we, not trying to prove ourselves to be the Messiah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As a whole. So that's what I yeah. meant is like, yeah. I just think we have a wrong perspective, maybe sure. the right heart, but maybe we're saying it wrong. Sure. I think our, our, our desire should be, to say I want to like um, associate or or like align ourselves with Jesus, yeah, to be His followers, yeah, you know what I mean. Rather yeah, than yeah. say like I want to be like, like I don't think that was the goal. The goal is to say like I, I'm joining you in your death to be free of yeah the old covenant and and I'm raised with Jesus in newness of life. Like right. I'm, I'm given a new self in Him. I'm declared righteous in Him. I just think that that's a such a genius point you're making. These are this is a transitional period. This is mm-hmm. not instruction to the church. Yeah. Complete side note, and we can talk about this. This might be a topic for later, unless we've already done this. We may have already done this, but like, it's funny to me that we go to Matthew eighteen then and say this is what church discipline looks like. Dude, we I should know. do that. We did. We do. Well, we did like uh, church government and church, so, and part of that was church discipline. We probably. That, I think I we just, should like. I think it's, it's just it. funny that like someone. I, I can almost guarantee someone would have agreed with us through all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe struggled a little bit with the gospels thing. Because Maybe. it's been like that. Yeah. They've taught it that way forever. But man, don't you dare take Matthew 18 out of my perspective of yeah. church discipline. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that posted recently. There was a, there was a post about um, how to handle a situation on church. And there's probably 30 comments, all of them. Well, I shouldn't say all Okay. Them. You know what's rude. funny? 99%. <laughs> I don't have a problem saying like, there's some wisdom mm-hmm. in what he's saying. I just don't want to make it a rule when it, I can't be confident that that's a rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's not. It's He's addressing the law because right. like one of the things is it's the only other place in the scripture that these numbers occur in this sequence. Mm. And and Peter says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. And uh, Jesus answers, no, up to 70 times, seven times. And what's interesting is you go all the way back because there's there's no way that this is not what's happening. But Cain kills Abel and then God banishes him. And Cain says, I'm going to be found and people are going to kill me. And he goes, no, I'll put a mark on you and you'll be avenged sevenfold. Mm-hmm. Right? So Cain will be avenged sevenfold. And Peter's like, ah, should I forgive seven times? And then Lamech mm. says, if Cain is avenged seven times, I'm avenged 70 times, seven times. Because I, I killed a man for offending me. Uh, it's the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And Jesus goes, no, you need to forgive 70 times, seven times. And what's interesting is the the avenging to Cain is God. God says, I will avenge this seven times. Mm -hmm. And then Lamech is acting irrationally and says, I'll be avenged 70 times, seven times. And so, so Peter goes, should I forgive seven times? Here's this model, Mm -hmm. you know, you would avenge seven times. Should I forgive seven times? And he goes, no, even irrationally. Like, but it's, it's still this talking about this law and this like not even law, but like yeah, pre, this old yeah, yeah. pre-Christ, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. anyway, it's super interesting, but it's- I just think it's a good point that the, the I like the, how you said it, the gospels are this transition between the two. Yeah. It's the story of Jesus, who Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Yeah. He's a fulfillment of God's promise of salvation, mm-hmm. fulfillment of what we call the Messiah, the coming savior. So like, yeah, it, it's the story of Jesus yeah. and his life. And it seems incredibly irresponsible to me to take a 
non-Jesus perspective to the gospels. That oh, this is yeah. sometime, mm-hmm. somehow about telling Christians how they should live. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't fit in context. Like you, you have you have to start with the premise that that's the case before you read the Gospels. Absolutely. If you read the Gospels, you wouldn't end up at that premise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's nothing in the Gospels that gives you that context. Yeah. Well, and one of the things we talked about a year and a half, two years ago on reading the Gospels is that we have to remember that Christ hasn't died yet. Mm-hmm. Sin hasn't mm-hmm. been dealt with yet. Uh, death hasn't been dealt with yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't been given yet. Because a lot of Christians are like, see, even Peter denied Jesus. Sometimes Christians deny Jesus. And you're like, you idiot. No, like mm-hmm. Christ hasn't died. The spirit hasn't been given. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, Peter is not in the same boat as as you and I are until Acts 1. It, it, it's why- the, And then he's completely different. And then he's a completely different completely person. Completely different. Which is why Hebrews 11, talking about the people of faith in the Old Testament says- and all, all of them died without receiving the promises so that they wouldn't be made complete apart from us yep. because we've received something greater yep. and now talking about Christ. And so Peter, until Acts 1, falls into the category of all the Old Testament saints that hadn't received yet what was promised. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then in, in Acts 1, Peter received what was promised. <laughs> but you can't look at Peter in the Gospels and go, that's how Christians behave because he doesn't even have the spirit yet. Mm-hmm. You would have to. If you were going to make the case about Peter, you'd have to say, here's how Peter acted in the gospel stories. Here's how Peter acted in Acts. Here's how Peter wrote in his letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have to put them all together. But most people don't. They just no. say, they no. want to make a moralistic perspective of here's what it looks like for Peter to get out of the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I actually don't have any problem like learning from those stories. Sure. Yeah. I don't think it means you don't preach the gospels. What I'm saying is right, like, right, right. preach the gospels in how they fit in the story, this overall narrative yeah. of redemption that you mm-hmm. see throughout the whole yeah. scripture. The, the revelation of Christ yep. as the fulfillment of the covenant of law so that the covenant of gospel yep. or grace could be enacted. In fact, I think what you can yeah. probably say is if you teach the gospels from the perspective of Christianity, you would almost have to say you disagree with us on the perspective that the old covenant has been done away with. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you you end up having to teach law from yeah. the perspective you have to of teach, the law covenant. You have to teach moral yep. code for Christians. So in essence, that's probably what's happening. Yeah. Whether people know that or not when they're preaching is they're preaching the gospels from, from that perspective, not knowing that they're actually teaching under the covenant of law yeah. instead of the covenant of grace. Yeah. Hmm. I like that you brought up a second ago, Micah. Um, the language of being more like Jesus. Cause I, I opened up memory for me in college. I was, that was one thing that I had done is taken that statement that we had so often saying in culture of you got to be more like, more like Jesus. And then I just like went through the gospels and I thought mm. it's gonna be a lot harder than I thought <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, because you're right. Like what people will do is they'll elevate very specific things that Christ did on his time on earth. I, there was, there were several ministries at the time, um, several people that I knew what well, I knew, but I knew of because of social media at the time who were selling everything, jumping. There's some people that were, that were buying buses and just traveling around. There were some people that there was, uh, one guy that I know who just got rid of everything and just went and lived on the streets. Cause he was, like radical so, yeah and so like because he wants to yeah. be like jesus yeah so like he was like wait, wait did he have wealthy friends that he go stay at their house <laughs> according, according to some of the stuff i read no but what's funny is there's a lot of things that became exposed about him later but uh there i remember reading one thing and i thought oh how great what a, what a humble guy because then he got, he got to a place where he got a new job 
got an apartment, was kind of growing, learning out of these things. And then he thought, I'm too comfortable in this. And then got rid of it all again and went and slept on the streets in LA. And I was like, you're making, all of this is still about you. Like yeah. none of it's about Jesus. It's still all about you. And if you look at, if you look at the gospels as a pure black and white action by action basis of Jesus, and you think I have to take these individual actions and apply it to myself instead of the heart, instead of looking at the overarching mm-hmm. story of what's happening and why the gospels are crucial to uh, the changing of the guard of the transitionary period. And like we, we ultimately, Ultimately, we'll still just apply a law-based mentality to Christianity if we don't mm-hmm. if we don't view it from the proper perspective. Uh, which Jesus, is exactly. Did you know Jesus hated Mary, Martha, and Lazarus? <laughs> he hated them because they were rich. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He was like, I can't sleep here. I'm Jesus. I can't go like, sleep on the streets. Like, you guys are not trying to follow me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're not trying to be like me. So he I like I like that them. shift in that shift yeah. in language. I think that's what we mean when we say, or what a lot of people mean when they say be more like Jesus, is they mean a lot of what like Paul is saying in his letters of like, um, live like who you are now in him. Yep. Um, like I and so I think that you can even say that of like, I just wanna um the language that we use here, I want to honor and glorify God. I want to enjoy Jesus. Says, like the closest thing he ever says is is imitate me as I imitate Christ. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, I don't think that's what we typically mean by be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we do what you're talking about, where we like look at every nuance of his life and go, I gotta, I gotta, be I gotta like do that. all well, these things. And, and what's super crazy is there, what he's talking about is laying down your rights for the sake of the gospel. Yep. And mm-hmm. even more specifically, eating meat sacrificed to idols. Like he's talking about some cultural nuances. And he's mm-hmm. like, so anyway. Like, it's specific. Text mm-hmm. driven. <laughs> text driven, yeah. Awesome. So, uh, law, what, how did you for the two covenants, two covenants, simpler yeah. view of the two covenants? Uh, yeah, Mark, don't you're have, better at that. Don't have two husbands. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't have simpler, two husbands. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's it. I was like, simpler view of the two covenants is we're under the covenant of grace now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Faith in Jesus. Joined to Christ. Yeah. Stop living under the covenant of the law. Yeah. That's not where you are. You don't have two husbands. Adulterer. You adulterer. Just kidding. I don't think you can be out. anymore. An adulterer? Yeah. 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 I think you could like. You know what I mean, like yeah, because you're not actually married to the law. No, no, no. Yeah, you're not. I mean, you could, you could like <laughs> you died act to that. like yeah, 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 yeah. You could act. But I don't, I don't think you're actually an adulterer. I don't. Uh, we've changed our language on that. I don't think you're an idolater as a yeah. as a follower of Jesus now. I don't yeah. think you're a. I don't think because you go to soccer games on Sundays sometimes you're an idolater or <laughs> yeah or an adulterer. I think that those old testament that's old covenant. We do the same thing. Yeah, old covenant language. Yeah, mm-hmm. we used. I mean, I used to do that one hard. Like. I go at it hard on that stuff. And we can we can still talk about <laughs> priorities and affections, but those don't we can change identity. Learn. Yeah. There's all through the Old Testament, I said it earlier, this perspective of God wants your heart. Like that's yeah. a phenomenal thing to learn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You who have Sorry, Andy Stanley. The Old Testament is still relevant, even though we're under the yeah. new covenant. Come on, man. Freaking idiot. Stupid guy. You know who's not a freaking idiot? Uh, Steven. Uh, Steven. <laughs> We're at the Garden Audio with Steven, as always. Uh, we love being able to come out here and hang out here. And we also just enjoy the fact that we don't have to worry about this sounding good or bad, that we know that in Steven's hands, we can trust that it's going to come out Woo-hoo. sounding great. So uh, go go tell the hot Cheeto man, vanilla man, <laughs> that you're thankful for his work here at the Garden Audio. Give him a follow at the Garden Audio on Instagram. And while you're over there, we're at Simpler Pod. Go see what's up. Contact us. T- tell us what you want to know more about. Um, this, over the past, would you say eight years ago? Um, I guess 10 years ago. When was it, this kind of a really prevalent Law shift? Law yeah, Grace. Uh, Sorry. That what we talked about today. Yeah. January, 2015. January, 2015. So like since then, like we've, there's a lot of kickback like from yeah. a lot of people. And so I think that there are, I also do think that there are plenty of people who um, maybe feel a kickback, but want to know more. Cause you have yeah. the, the, who we hear from is the people who have kickback who are trying to, to say we're wrong. 
I think there's plenty of people who feel a kickback who want to know why they're wrong. Wait, if that makes sense, do what? Does that just all go to you? I mean, I, I, we've, we've, we've said it countless times before. We're like that, that story I shared last week where this guy's like, yeah, but we're free in Christ. We don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Whatever, man. Like you're living in a fantasy world that we're free, free, free Someone in Christ. Someone said that to you? Someone told it to a guy that we know that. Um, yeah. You you know that story. Yeah. You're just not thinking about it. I'll right. give you, I'll give you more details in yeah. a minute. But like, I feel like so that. Not, there's no kickback like directly to us. I, f- I mean, I Which feel. is what you're saying. Like, I want people to like, I would love for people to legitimately ask questions. Like, yeah. Really like, time, I think yeah, that. Like, yeah, so people what they're what they maybe in in uh, inadvertently are doing is elevating their experience over the truth of Christ. Uh, or yeah. They're elevating. I, I, yeah, I would say that the kickback that I have seen has been growing pains, not mm. legitimate kickback. Gotcha. Like people yeah, who are going, yeah. wait a minute, help me. I don't, you know, and they're finding freedom in it. But it's gotcha. it's a process for them. Yeah, it's yeah. A, more how I. That's yeah. more what I'm seeing. Hey, let's Which make is a, let's make a rule: growing pains. Go to Ryan and Pierce. That's right. <laughs> Actual kickback. <laughs> Go to Mike. <laughs> I like um, it. So if that's where you are, if you're feeling those growing pains, like put lean into community. Mm-hmm. If message us if you want to. Lean into your brothers and sisters in Christ and walk through this um, and talk about it because it may be quite a shift for you, but no one understand that because it's a shift for where you are, that doesn't change um, where you are in Christ. That right. doesn't change the truth right. of Jesus. Um, and that's a firm foundation to stand upon as you ask questions. Don't ever think that the act of asking questions is in itself doubt. I think that what you can say is, Lord, I don't get this. And you lean into the community that God has given you. You turn to the text, you turn to God. Um, and in the midst of that, you can be shaped. And I think that we've we've come to learn that asking questions in community has been brilliant for growth. And the mm-hmm. Lord has used that in great ways to, to shape us, um, never questioning the the person and work of Christ, but just in the midst of that, of God, how'd you work this? How did you do this? How does this text apply to this text? Like figuring those things out. So to encourage those people who are listening and watching, um, Know that your foundation is set upon Christ. Your identity, like we mentioned last week, is set in Christ. It does not change. And in the midst of that, learn and grow and be mm-hmm. shaped and molded. And so if you do feel any kickback from this, I mean, my, my encouragement may be to, uh, to lean into it. If you feel growing pains, mm-hmm. grow. Like push through to the growth. Don't just dwell on growing pains, uh, growing pains or, or uh, misunderstanding, but push through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a huge encouragement to you guys because there's, there's a, a deeper understanding and a deeper um, Acknowledge by the riches of Christ as we use the language as well from last week. Um, as always, we love you guys and, uh, and keep Christ's core. What could be simpler than that? We'll catch y'all next week. Bye.